This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Yanks Go Talking, the weekly U.S. soccer podcast. Today we have a lot to talk about since we are fresh off of the Panama loss in Panama. But since you've listened to us last, we also haven't talked about the Jamaica game, which seems to be we were on quite a high after Jamaica and quite a low now after Panama. So this should shape up to be quite a weird episode. So I hope you guys are along for the ride. Make sure wherever you're listening to this or watching that you leave a like or leave a positive review as that really helps more people find us. So let's get started. I'm joined as always by Deutsche Yank, Ryan on the ground in Germany, and our astrophysicist extraordinaire, Tom, joining us. Guys, how are you? Tom, we'll start with you. How are you feeling? I mean, highest of highs, lowest of lows. Last night was really frustrating, but we bounce back. We move on towards Costa Rica on Wednesday. A lot to talk about today. How about you, Ryan? I feel like I'm pretty emotionally spent. Like, I even woke up this morning thinking like, all right, new day, I'll be able to shake it off, but I haven't been able to. Uh, It's kind of stuck with me all day. I've been listening to different podcasts and watching different YouTube videos and constantly on Twitter pretty much most of the day. I just, I just can't shake it. Like it it hurts. I I want this team to succeed and I know the product I want to see on the pitch and to see what continues to, to roll out. It just hurts. So, you know, looking, trying to keep it positive and look forward towards the game against Costa Rica. And I'm still worried about if we get six points out of Costa Rica, what that means. But I'm sure we'll we'll dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go through our stars and strikes. But guys, if you've been following this U.S. team, essentially all of the stars are going to be from the Jamaica victory. All of the strikes are going to be from the Panama loss. So let's just start where we played Jamaica and Austin, Texas. Pretty complete performance. Two goals from Ricardo Pepe. Who are your stars? Maybe, Ryan, let's let's start to throw some stars out. Uh, one of the first stars that I want to point out is just every single fan that was in that Austin stadium. It was amazing to finally hear a game in which it actually sounded like a home game. Uh, it's sometimes it's kind of a rare occasion for us to have that. And from what I've seen of Austin FC, that's even the environment that they're bringing for all of their home games. So I think that should definitely be a location because also a great city for some of our other home matches going forward from the game though. Uh, one person I would definitely want to highlight from that game was Yunus Musa. It was the first time he got to start for the USMNT in a world cup qualifier and at 18, year old, 18 years old, he's just so composed. He's, he's incredible. And he brings something different to the lineup that I don't think anybody else really has. His ability to, to take players off the dribble. And he's got a good low center of gravity. He's so strong on the, on the ball, but also good with his distribution too. Uh, I think when you surround him with good talent, he, he really is a game changer when he's playing confidently. We saw a difference in his form when we were going up against Panama, but... 
some of that I think could be the pieces around it. Um, and then lastly, from that game, uh, I would point out Serginho Dest as well. I thought he played really well. He, you know, it's not like Jamaica really threatened much on the right-hand side. So Dest was able to be Dest. He was able to take players on the dribble. You see him cutting inside, getting fouled just outside the box. It was, it was, I thought it was a pretty complete game from him, but not like he, he really got asked to do much defensively. But good to see him build some confidence while wearing the crest. I think that's important for him because he seems like he's a player that it really depends on his mindset. When he's focused and engaged, he's top-notch. But if he doesn't seem into it, he can be a bit of a liability. Yeah. So I was happy to see him have a complete profile. Is there anybody you want to kind of call out, Tom, or who did you like from that game? Yeah, I'm going to start exactly where you left off. My three stars starts with Serginho Dest as my first star of the game. I thought he looked great. He beat players off the dribble. He was using his sauce to take people on, win fouls. He combined really well with Musa down that right wing. It was it was really nice to see that cross for the first goal was a thing of beauty. I, I'm just so glad to see him picking up and having a good performance finally in a U.S. shirt. And I really hope we can see that again on Wednesday against Costa Rica. My second star goes to Ricardo Pepe. I'm not sure who else it could go to. Two goals on three shots on target is just phenomenal. He looked class the entire second half. Not much involvement in the first half, but I think that was more of a product of us just not being very direct and attacking in the first half. So good to see him get some space, get some service, and knock a few more in. I'm really excited to see what he can do moving forward. And then I'm going to cheat a little bit for my three stars for my man of the match because I really can't separate anyone in the midfield. So I'm just going to go with three stars to the MMA midfield of McKenney, Musa, and Adams because they were just class the entire game long. When you look at that Jamaica starting 11 and you see a player without a club, a player starting at Miami FC in the USL Championship as your double pivot, you expect the midfield to have a dominant performance and Musa McKenney and Adams just destroyed Jamaica's midfield. It felt like every single time Jamaica got the ball, they'd pass it to the midfield. One of Adams McKenney or Musa would take it away and start going forward. And we saw Musa playing direct, just driving at players. We saw McKenney and Adams crashing to the ball at all times. Musa's run on the first goal was just amazing to see. I'm really glad that we finally got to see that lineup put out there and I hope we see it again going forward because it was it was excellent to watch. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think for me, I'm maybe I won't call it a sp- certain player, but the partnership between Anthony Robinson and Brendan Aronson was awesome to watch. That left flank of their combination play and their ability to find each other in dangerous spaces was just so fun. Um, I'm wondering now too, just because I'm thinking about every single person that was on that field. I said this before, but I really didn't think there was one bad performance top to bottom on the field against Jamaica. Do you guys have any strikes from the Jamaica game? The referee. (laughs) (laughs) Good Good call. call. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Definitely the referee. Uh, No, it's hard to put any strikes on anybody from that match just because Jamaica came out and really didn't put out much of a performance for them. They it's such a shame for Jamaica because when you look at the amount of people that they could be calling in, if their federation was run a little bit more disciplined, I think they, they really could move up the ranks in world soccer because they have so many guys that they could be calling in that are playing in England and playing in the Netherlands. But unfortunately a lot of those guys don't want to come in. So I guess one small strike would be if you want to have a stretch would be 
just kind of calling out the Jamaican Federation, like get it together, man. Cause you guys could be a pretty impressive team. Stop smuggle, like stop hanging on to the money. <laughs> Come on, JFF. Uh, how is there no VAR in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying? <sighs> Riddle me last, this. <laughs> so last review I heard was that only three of eight countries had the financial infrastructure to implement VAR in their stadiums. So it's a financial thing. But my question is, why isn't CONCACAF using some of that bribe money to just pay for VAR in some of these national team stadiums? CONCACAF or FIFA or any of the other federations that I want it. It is crazy. It, but but then in the European qualifications, you could go to Andorra or Moldova and there's VAR there. Like it doesn't make sense. Costa Rica is not a third world country. It's not like, I, I don't know. How, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like I'm no IT whiz, but you're telling me you can't put up like four cameras and have an iPad on the side of the, of the field. No, like they can't. <laughs> That's what they're telling you. <laughs> yeah, like that just seems crazy. Maybe there's more to it. And I, I, maybe I'm out of pocket right now and I don't know what I'm talking about, but it, it doesn't seem like it should be ter- <laughs> like, there should be literally a way to like portably put this up at every single stadium. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're not talking about like the poorest of central American coast um, uh, Caribbean countries either. We're not talking about like Antigua and Barbuda having to implement this high tech video review system. These are bigger economies in the region. You would think that with as much soccer as played in this region, that there would be better video review systems in place. And Honduras with their newfound Bitcoin. I mean, how can they not <laughs> have enough for VAR? <laughs> right. All right. So guys, we, we end on a high against Jamaica. Uh, there's really only two times when I'm upset after games. And that's when a, refer- a referee or a big decision doesn't go our way. And that seals the deal against us, or we're just comprehensively beaten in every area of the game. And that seems to be what happened in Panama. And that seems to be where a lot of our strikes are as well. Tom's already shaking his head. He's already reminiscing about all of those plays that Legette had, or I don't know, I won't put words in your mouth, but Tom, who, who are your strikes in Panama? I... For me, strikes have to start with Greg Berhalter because if you're going to go down to the Central American qualifiers, yes, it's difficult to win, but at least put your players in a position to succeed. And Greg didn't do that last night. That starting 11 was questionable at best. Seven changes from our previous game. The entire midfield completely rotated. It just, it was rough. I I just don't understand what his thought process was. He seemed to be playing not to lose, and that's not how you win World Cup qualifying games. That's not how you qualify for the World Cup. Specific players I'll call out, Kellen Acosta with his worst game of 2020-2021 in the U.S. shirt. We have Sebastian Legette looking poor going forward. We had the entire front three looking invisible. And then I'm going to specifically strike zonal marking on corner kicks because why in 2021 is anyone still trying it? It doesn't work. Did you guys see the press conference after when he was asked about zonal marking? Yeah. I, he, oh, he thought it, that was the most ridiculous question. He was like, when, when you show me the data and show me that it doesn't work, then you can come yeah, back can, to me and ask me that question. Yeah, <laughs> it was so arrogant. Like, you don't get to take an L down in Panama – when 
all of it is on your shoulders and then be dismissive to people asking you legitimate questions. That was one of the big takeaways for me that really irked me is I, I think Greg, if he were to ever coach, not that he should, but if he was ever coaching, even in Mexico or somewhere over in Europe, he would not be able to handle the heat. Like he's so lucky that he gets softball questions because U.S. soccer will pull your press pass if you challenge the system at all. It's just bananas to me. Tom, I think you crushed it on the strikes. Greg, obvious strike. I don't We were talking about this a little bit before. How many times do we need to see Acosta and Legette on the field together to know it doesn't work? It, they're just not complementary players to each other. I still think Acosta has a place on this roster, especially if we're ahead in the game and you want to bring in a solid defensive substitute in the midfield, then I think Acosta's can fill that role. For me personally, everything I've seen out of Legit, he, he doesn't deserve to be on this roster. Um, I think we, in the short cameo during the Jamaica game, what we saw out of Luca De La Torre is he's what... Greg, I guess, sees Legette as, but Legette doesn't do that. He actually progressed the ball forward, played one-two touches, made smart runs, actually was able to have a half turn. Like, I don't think I've like ever seen that out of Legette's game. So the t- big strike for me uh, was definitely, I, I hate to say it, but I'm done with it. I don't want to see him in this roster. Um, and look, I've been a proponent of, hey, let's play more of our guys when we're on that are comfortable in that situation. I didn't mean make seven of them. <laughs> like, sprinkle sprinkle it in a little bit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, so, like, I think, I think a lot of it falls onto Greg. And to have him be condescending afterwards was really disappointing. Uh, maybe he's more worried about his sneaker game than he is you know, worried about tactics. Personally, I think he just overthinks it all the time. Yeah. And it's so disappointing after he got so much of it right against Jamaica. He played most of our best players in their best positions. He kept it simple. The last time we saw Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legette in the midfield together was the home game against Canada, where we didn't have anything going forward, no offensive ability to find any of those passing lanes or any of those players up top. My strike is obviously Greg is a a huge strike, a a glaring strike. What I want to say about his lineup is it just got worse the more that you heard about his processing how we were going to play in the post-game press conference. And in terms of the lineup, what I mean with that is he talked about Brendan Aronson and Paul Ariola being the same player and trying to get them 45 minutes each. He talked about uh, Tyler Adams was going to be a planned sub to play 45 minutes. What I don't understand with that is we played all of the worst options for the first half. Right? Why wouldn't you play your best options, give yourself the best opportunity to be in a position to win or be in a stronger position to tie than to need them as an emergency substitution? That made no sense to me, and it just got worse the more I heard of Greg's thought process to do that. Yeah, the yeah. worst part was, was he talked about squad rotation. He wanted to make sure players were fresh. And I get that. I, I, I totally support that decision. 
but rotate players in like Luca De La Torre, rotate in Chris Richards, rotate in Gio, like uh, Busio. Hoppy. It's yeah, rotate in Hoppy up top. Like to say that Brendan Aronson and Ariola are the same player is so disrespectful. I I can't believe it. Uh, I, I would be only I would be pretty upset talent. with that. They they don't play the same way. No. <laughs> like they don't give you so, the same yeah, thing on the field. Like I get it. You want to rotate players, that's cool. But also, as we talked about earlier, this is why you call in a bigger roster. I would have you're gonna hear me say it again, but that game would have been pretty interesting to see Julian Green and Luca De La Torre in the middle to where they, those are guys that would have actually kept possession of the ball. Instead, I, I like Acosta, like I said, as a defensive sub, but holy crap, there was a few times where there were some extremely errant touches and also first touches that were just going six feet in front of him. It, it was a pretty poor performance. So yeah, going to squad rotation, that, again, this is on Greg. We can have squad rotation, but pick the right guys. And they're they're, they're available. That's what's crazy to me. Yeah, and yeah. you said, uh, "Go ahead, Tom." I mean, you can't complain about lack of experience and not calling in players if you're not going to give the players their experience. It's on you to make sure you have a deep enough squad. And you know, squad rotation is great. I'm a big proponent of MLS players who are experienced in Concacaf getting minutes. I'm a big proponent of rotating the squad to make sure that no one is too tired and that we're not creating more injuries. I'm a big proponent of some of those veteran players who can provide something that the young players maybe don't have yet in their career, like an ability to face adversity. But we didn't see any of that last night. We saw a very mm-hmm. poor tactical game plan. We saw a lack of players who could have used valuable minutes in a game we weren't going to win anyway, getting thrown on the field sure. in favor of players and bizarre substitutes. Why did Sebastian Legette play 90 when we knew he was having a bad game? Why did we bring Christian Roldan on for Tim Weah in the right wing when a Matthew Hoppy is probably a better sub there? I would have loved to see Roldan or Delatore in for Legette. Why did we bring in DeAndre Yedlin for Shaq Moore when we're chasing a goal? That makes no sense to me. Why are we making these sort of bizarre substitution changes? Why are we not giving our young players minutes? Chris Richards might have been really a good option to hit some long diagonals and maybe open up some space i don't know greg got it all wrong and it's just baffling to me how he got it so wrong yeah two two things that i could hop in jake that i I would love to talk Mm -hmm. about one what's so crazy and what drives me nuts about berhalter's decisions too was the subs he made the two players that he left on for the full 90 were legit and acosta everybody on their couch and their grandma can see that that's the like those are the two guys that are killing us in the middle of the field. <laughs> to say we got overrun by Panama in the middle of the field and suffered our first loss to Panama away in World Cup qualifying is inexcusable. So the other thing I want to touch on, too, is you heard a little bit about in the press conference. Specifically, it was they were the first words out of Walker Zimmerman's mouth when he got interviewed on the pitch. It was, oh, tough, tough place to play. I'm sorry, that stadium was 60%, wasn't incredibly loud. I believe there's a track that goes around the outside, so it's not like the people are right on top of you. The weather was in the mid-80s. It was like a typical Florida day. I don't I don't want to hear that excuse that, oh, it's so hard to go away in CONCACAF. The pitch was looked like it was in good shape. 
I, I just don't understand. How do, how do you guys react when you hear that for the Panama was, oh, such a tough p- place to go play from what we saw? It didn't reflect well to me. I mean, it's probably not as comfortable as Austin, Texas in a home crowd, but at the same time, the other team has to play on the same pitch at the same time of day with the same conditions as you. <laughs> like the crowd can only go so far, but the other team is also playing on the field, is also playing in 85 degree weather, is also playing in humid weather. I, I just think we we knew, we <laughs> one thing I'm talking about with experience and Greg continues to talk about how young this team is and how all these things are learning opportunities. That was a big point after El Salvador and after Honduras that these are learning opportunities. Well, if those learning opportunities don't start to translate to results, then you didn't learn what you needed to from those opportunities. And for me, we've we played, what, four, three away games out of our five games so far. The, the players have experience now. They know what to expect from CONCACAF away games. I wouldn't say Panama was, to, to me, watching from television, and again, that's not the same experience that the players have on the field, but Panama seemed to be the, the least of the, the least difficult um, away game in, in terms of the crowd yeah. and the conditions so far. What did you guys think? We've played maybe our most three our three easiest away games in terms of ELO ratings that there are. We've played at Panama, at Honduras, at El Salvador. Jamaica's probably the easiest away game besides maybe Canada, but we still have Costa Rica and Mexico away. If they're not handling these environments, well, I hate to see what the excuses they're going to throw out when they have to go to the Azteca are. This is, this is not an excuse that we can continue to have. If you throw out Costa Rica and Mexico results historically for World Cup qualifying, the U.S. averages two points a game in away World Cup qualifying matches since the start of the hex. That's an average of a draw or a win. We don't Which lose. Which we do have right away. now. <laughs> yeah. We have four we points do. from... Or, no, yeah. we're below it. Four points from three oh, games. No. You're right, you're right. <laughs> it's, it's... Yeah, we... If you look at historical data, yeah, the the it's a tough place to play excuse works for the Azteca and for San Juan Costa San Juan Costa Rica, San Jose Costa Rica. Sorry. Uh, beyond that, you can't use that excuse that much. Like, at minimum, you should be scraping draws from these games. Yeah, but I would I would even say like just the difference for in this qualifying. Like the El Salvador game, the pitch was kind of like beat up by the end of the game. You could tell the the turf wasn't really laid down well, so they're getting big chunks pulled up all the time. That the stadium was a hundred percent packed. It was ruckus. We had Gio Reyna going to take corners, getting cups and cans thrown at him. Like the El Salvador game, the that was the Concacaf that I accept a little bit when people are like really tough places to go play. El Salvador was that. Panama was not. It was, Historically, it Panama like it is was not that. Yeah. We've only lost two games to Panama in our, the entire time we've been playing them. One of them, I think, was in 2011 in a Gold Cup. We've never lost to them in a World Cup qualifier, home or away. And we yeah. did yeah. last night. Historically, Panama is one of our easiest opponents that we face in Central America. 
it's a lot tougher to play in El Salvador. It's a lot tougher to play in Honduras. Traditionally, we don't do well in Honduras, but we traditionally do really well in Panama. Yeah, well, I think it's safe to say we never play a game on December 10th again. Sounds good. I think for everyone yeah. not knowing that reference, we lost in Cuba to Trinidad and Tobago on that day. Is that is that right? October that 10th, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Four-year anniversary. Uh, sorry to remind everybody. But yeah, let's let's never schedule a game <laughs> on October 10th again. Good good call there, Ryan. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, you mentioned Zimmerman. So Miles Robinson wasn't on the field for the U.S. in this Panama game. To me, he's been one of the best U.S. players, not just defenders, but best players throughout this summer. And looking at the Jamaica game, there were a few things that, a few selections on the team where I could have said, you know, depending on how the next two games go, depending on what Greg chooses for his teams, I understand those decisions. But now that we played Panama, now that that game has gone by, I look back at the Jamaica game and just think, why didn't Chris Richards get subbed on for Miles Robinson to give Miles Robinson a break to get Chris Richards minutes? Miles Robinson then sat on the bench the entire game against Panama. Chris Richards didn't have an opportunity because Greg doesn't like to throw new players into a difficult environment. It just seems like if that was the plan all along, there were opportunities and pockets to get these players experience when you could have. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why we haven't played Richards or Hoppy any minutes at all. If you want these guys to get minutes, you have to give them minutes. You can't sort of say, sorry, they don't have any minutes. I'm not going to play them and then not give them minutes. Like that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're just limiting your player selection by not trusting these guys. I know Burhalter has his guys and he knows that his system works in his mind and that these young guys he doesn't think can handle his system well guess what you can't run a system that complicated with a national team then you have to be able to bring in new players who are young and adjust them to the the international environment quickly you don't have the luxury when you only see these guys for nine days every month to try and have them learn this really complex system that would take club players years to learn you can't handle the system yeah jake (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm hearing too is jake i mean i think you bring up a really good point about a missed opportunity against jamaica when we were up to nothing jamaica had laid down Uh, i think that would have been a perfect time even if it's just a 10 to 15 minute cameo to get richards in the game i 100 expect 100 expect him to start against costa rica i know people might kind of see that as it's kind of a must-win game and to put someone in for their first time in a world cup qualifier in a must-win game maybe isn't the most secure way to go but there's no doubt in my mind that chris richards can handle this he's got a really level head he's trained against the best players in the world at bayern and then gotten first team minutes with hoffenheim and stood up to the chance every single time he's gotten it He's by far been Hoffenheim's best defender. And when you're playing in the Bundesliga, going against that type of talent week in and week out, I think a home game against Costa Rica in a friendly environment is the absolute perfect time to put him on. I think we fully expect to see Miles Robinson play with him. I think defensively, that's that could be a really dangerous tandem going forward. And I think one thing Greg needs to do, I know he likes his rotation, but from a center back pairing specifically, like those are two people you need to start to 
get a chemistry between those two players. They need to be able to know where each other are without even looking. So I'd really love to see the game against Costa Rica be the start of what could potentially be our starting two center backs, and which is crazy to say because John Brooks isn't in there. But John Brooks will be there when healthy, and he's been healthy for the most part recently, but his historically, he's a guy that can go down at the drop of a hat. So having consistency in guys like Robinson and Richards, I think would be really exciting going forward. It's crazy to me that they, that he, like you said, Tom, him and Hoppy have not gotten any minutes. If I were those two right now, I would have a few choice words for Greg. Yeah. So we've covered the Panama game. We've covered the Jamaica game. We're sitting on three points from this window so far. We, we still have our game against Costa Rica. And I think all of us kind of said before this window that seven points was the minimum for this window. Now that's impossible. Is Greg on the hot seat? Not in your mind. Is he on the fans' hot seat? Actually on the on the hot seat. No, no. No. The only way USF, yeah, the only way the Federation actually were to fire Greg was is gonna be when we're mathematically out of it. I am with all the fans in saying that we need to put more pressure on him. We need to demand more. We need our journalists that are in the press conferences to actually ask him hard hitting questions and follow up on them too. Don't just take his nonchalant, like BS answers, like push back against those, make him actually feel like he's in the hot seat from the fan standpoint and from the press standpoint. I think that even my biggest fear is, and this is kind of a bad thing to say, but I guess my biggest fear is, is we win against Costa Rica and Greg walks out of this window feeling like he, you know, he made the right choices and did the right thing. He's strutting out of that he, press he conference <laughs> feeling like a, yeah, just peacocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, that's my biggest fear. Don't get me wrong. I want the boys to get three, of course, every single time they're on the pitch, but uh, it's it'll it's gonna drive me crazy that Greg walks out of this. Now I will be okay with it if he makes the decision to play Hoppy Richards, De La Torre, even get Babusio a few minutes. Hopefully we've got a healthy lead, kind of similar to Jamaica, two nil. Get Busio even in for the last like fifteen minutes because Busio isn't made for Concacaf, but Busio's made for the World Cup for sure because he he is a little bit of a smaller guy. But against a team, maybe say we're going up against Spain, like Busio sees the game the same way those guys do. I'm not rating him like he would be starting for Spain or anything like that. Let's not be hyperbolic. But I'm saying his playing style fits in with that type of game versus Panama. I kind of get it. You know, big physical guys that are going to knock him around, maybe not the best position for him. So hopefully he gets his feet wet a little bit too. Yeah. My biggest issue right now is that for every time that Greg does something good. The next time he has my attention, he does two or three things badly. It's really a one step forward, two steps back piece with him. And I'm at the point where I've just been hurt too many times, Greg. You've hurt me too many times. And I don't really trust, like, even if he gets everything right against Costa Rica, I like, I'm kind of done now. I'm not going into the next window confident that he's going to follow up and, and make the same as same decisions and, learn from all those mistakes. I'm just not confident anymore. And there's not really anything he can do 
in this next game to convince me that he's not going to come out and play, you know, nine of his guys and turn, you know, we said he made seven changes. There's only 11 possible changes that he can make. I mean, he basically made a hamburger against Jamaica and then put out a hot dog against Panama. <laughs> like it was a completely different team. It was a completely different team yeah. that we, after our best performance, it, it just makes no sense to me. So yeah, I mean, there's some analogies that we could make like. with. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. like there's some analogies that we can make with that hot dog reference, but we're gonna let that lie. Uh, so what I hear <laughs> you saying, Jake, is is that when Greg tweets or when Greg texts you at two in the morning, "Hey, you up?" You're not answering that text anymore. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I will I, still wake up and watch no. watch the boys. <laughs> <laughs> an analogy I'll use. I, I used to play tennis at a pretty high level and I was a decent player, but I always got in my own head and would try all sorts of fancy stuff. I'd try little chips and stuff. And I had a coach who got really mad at me and used to yell at me whenever I tried it. Thomas, cute, get you beat. Never be cute. Just go after him. And I feel like Greg is constantly trying to get cute with his lineup. He never just goes out and drives at players, drives at teams, puts them on their back foot. He's always trying to do these little cute things to the lineup, tinker, make these changes that I don't think ever work. He doesn't learn. Cute gets you beat. You have to play hard. You have to take it to other teams, put your best roster on the field. And he just seems incapable of realizing what that is. He's got to go after these teams. We are not the worst team in these games. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Tom. Uh, and also, by the way, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be the title to this this podcast. Is. <laughs> Cute gets you beat for sure. Greg always <laughs> thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he overanalyzes everything. Uh, if you look at his coaching career historically, uh, even when he was coaching for a bit over in Europe, he was told even from a European standpoint, you're too tactical, you're overthinking things. And that's what got him kind of run out of Europe. He did have success at Columbus and he can be over analytical when you have something like that. T Tom, I see you there. Um, but yeah, cute gets you beat and, and Greg overthinking this is going to continue to get us beat. He's got to just be play simple. I would like to point out that he didn't have that much success at Columbus. He has a career 49% winning percentage in MLS and has never won a playoff game. Boom arrested Tom with the numbers. I love it. <laughs> I love every right. minute of it. <laughs> let's let's go to tweets of the week let's put a smile on everyone's faces because we don't have enough to be happy about right now um ryan i am gonna let you take this one um this is usmnt minutes under bear halter can you read those is that big enough if you can make it a little bit bigger just so i can get the name right, me, i see garrett yeah, craig me... but it's at at garrett casey underscore foot put out a list of USMNT minutes under Burhalter. Uh, I did retweet this and I, I respect a lot of the responses that I got that yes, January camp is going to skew some of these numbers, but Greg so far has had three games uh, in January camp. And so for really saying that what one, eight, 270 minutes skews this that much, I still think there's enough red flags on here. Also 2019 gold cup will help skew these numbers a little bit. But Greg, I think, has shown an inability to change. He doesn't, he has his guys that he won't incorporate 
new players into his system. And that's been his biggest downfall so far. And Tom, I feel like if anything, you should be taking this. Here are the numbers that prove it. This is, this is right up Tom's alley. Uh, so I would love to see this, a few players move up this list. I think it's really a shame that, you know, injuries have played a role for Pulisic, uh, but to have Pulisic and Adams so far down on this list, I mean, actually looking over at, is Adams even in there in the top? Adams is, is not the, in there. Adams was injured crazy. in all 2019. We'll put that sure. out there. But seeing that the number one, like top, the top three, Reem, I'm, I'm kind of okay with. I think he's he has a role in this squad. But when Ariola and Legette are two of the top three, that screams red flag to me. I think, you know, for Garrett to take the time to put this together, I really appreciate it. Because it really helps put things into perspective for me of Greg really is favoring, quote unquote, his guys. He did show that he's willing to change his system a bit. Now he's got to make make the next step in his progression and change the players as well. Yeah. I would like to see like the next 10 on this list because I feel like there's a bunch of really good players who are in the next 10 who are just starting to break through. And I would love to see if we're sort of on the cusp of him making the right decisions or if he's super set in his ways. Yeah, we need yeah, like Tom a recency it. factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also Tom, like, Tom taking the next step, wanting like a graph, a trending graph. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no. Because like Sergio Dest is one game from passing Jackson Ewell. Like on Wednesday, he'll pass Jackson Ewell. That's like the first thing that sticks out in Maybe. my mind. Yes, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good point. But, like, I feel like Anthony Robinson is closing in on Josh Sargent here. I feel like Eunice Moose is now at least at 300 minutes, and Ricardo Pepe is at about 270 minutes, too. They're not that – they could easily get on this list through World Cup qualifying, you know, given that the right decisions are made. Brendan Aronson is not on this list either, and I would imagine that he'll get on there at some point soon, too. Yeah, and just for everyone, if you are listening and not watching, the top five are Paul Ariola, Tim Ream, Sebastian Legette, West McKinney, and Aaron Long. So if you do want to find this tweet, if you're listening, again, that's at Garrett Casey underscore foot, F-U-T. How, how does this make you feel, guys? How does this make you feel? Not great. Nauseous? Yeah. <laughs> So we went to smiles at tweets of the week back to sadness again. <laughs> um, th- yeah. This is this is the one that I wanted to bring. It's pretty similar, but specifically for World Cup qualifying so far. So it's regarding the minutes at some of these positions. Uh, so far in these games, Walker Zimmerman has 180 minutes. Mark McKenzie has 90. Chris Richards has zero. George Bellow has 90. Shaq Moore has 81. DeAndre Yedlin has 23. Joe Scali, who's not on the roster, obviously has zero. Kellen Acosta has 98 minutes. Legette has 90 minutes. Luca De La Torre has 14 and Busio has zero. And then at forward, you have Ariola, Zardes, and Roldan, with all, all with more minutes than Happy, who also has zero. I, I do want to specifically touch on Joe Scali for a moment. Because we I really didn't see much from our fullbacks in this Panama game. Mm-mm. Should I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, but we were all saying why isn't Joe Joe Scally on this roster? It is 
is this another kind of indication that the fans are seeing something that Greg isn't? Yes. Scally should be yeah, there. I 100%. Yeah, I don't. I, so far, I mean, is, so I guess, do we consider Bella one of Greg's guys at this point with the consistency in which he's called him in? Uh, and if so, what is Bella done to deserve that? He's, I don't understand why he got called in for this window. I agree with the September window. He was in excellent form for Atlanta. Um, and he played well this summer for Atlanta too. He's seen a dip in form recently there. So I'm really not sure if his club minutes are indicating that he should keep getting national team minutes. Whereas Scally is on the flip side of that. I'm not sure how much fullbacks would have helped that disaster class of a performance in this last game. I agree with the midfield for sure. Yeah. For me, yeah, it starts and ends with the midfield for me. So I'm not sure like changing a fullback up even through substitutions in the 70th minute changes that game very much yeah. because we just couldn't connect the defense to the midfield to the offense. And have you guys yeah. seen the story out of Norwich that uh, Farka, the Norwich coach said that the U S yeah. Federation didn't call in Josh Sargent because they wanted to focus on MLS players. Absolutely. I, um, no. I, I, I did see that. I'm not sure how much I buy it. Also, Farka might not know much about Ricardo Pepe. But does he know about Giassi Zardes? Has he, <laughs> has he heard about the Lord and Savior, Giassi Zardes? <laughs> but, but Farka doesn't have a reason to lie. Like, why would he make that up? Yeah, well, what gets me too is, you know, Sargent's been playing on the right wing for, so I don't even think it's about the number nine position. Sure. I like Josh there, but Ariola getting a full, what? one thirty five that I see there. Like that's yeah. Yeah. one thirty five. I, I don't yeah. understand why that, why we didn't have someone like Sergeant in there. Uh, but again, kind of like Tom said earlier, this, this team starts and stops with the midfield decisions. And that's been, we saw that during the gold cup, that you know, a lot of our games we won one nothing, and it was on set pieces. It wasn't through any sort of like beautiful soccer. So it's it boils all boils down to who Greg's chooses to pick in the middle and when, and that's the biggest glaring part that I feel like his guys are hurting us the most is in the middle of the field. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about that. What what he's going to do next? And we have this game coming up against Costa Rica. The max points we can get from this window is six. That would put us at 11 points in the table. Most likely good enough for second place still. What do you guys want to see on Wednesday? And what do you guys expect to see? Ryan, maybe let's start with you. So I want to see the MMA midfield for sure. Uh, I, I would love to see that. I wouldn't even be opposed to Luca De La Torre starting in there. And again, going forward, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's going to be tough when Gio Reyna's back because I personally want to see Gio Reyna in the middle of the pitch too. When we haven't been able to move the ball through the midfield and you have a class player like Reyna that's starting for Dortmund playing that position, Greg, again, we've harped on it. This is him overthinking it, thinking he knows more than everybody else, chooses to play him out of position. It's bonkers. Uh, so I would love to see the MMA midfield on Wednesday. Um, I do. Wea was really sharp 
when he came off the bench, but I would like to see him get one more start, especially in this window where we are missing guys like Conrad, Reina, and, uh, Reina and Pulisic. Um, and then obviously we got, we got to, I don't think there's a single game that he shouldn't be starting as the number nine kind of until otherwise. The one question that I really have for you guys was Turner had a bit of a disaster class with his passing. Sure. He made up for it, but like when you create the mistake and then save the day, I mean, it's kind of a net neutral. I don't give you points for that. Do you guys think that this is a game in which you start Turner again to continue to build his confidence or do you let him know, Hey, your performance wasn't good enough. We're putting in step in. For me, yeah, for me, the hot keeper plays and Turner is in form with his hands at least. He has more reps. He has been playing more minutes. And I don't like the idea of Zach Steffen coming in cold. I'm happy to give Zach Steffen minutes in this game. Yes. (laughs) I I I don't think there's a huge drop off. I get that he's coming in cold. He hasn't played a ton of games, but when he has played for Man City this year, he's been excellent. Um, I, I think that we're going to play more out of the back against Costa Rica. We saw how poor... So I, I was impressed throughout the summer with Matt Turner's improvement in his passing ability. But I think you saw last night that he hasn't really improved when he's under pressure. He's just improved when he has time to make the pass. So for me, Zach Steffen is still superior in those areas. And I, like he needs to have a chance to get back in this lineup. I, I get yeah, that. Turner definitely left the, left the door open for sure. Uh, I, I've liked Turner's play up until just Panama though. So I think this could be, if it were me and I were the coach, I propose, I pose the question, but I personally would like to see him give Turner the call because it really, as a keeper, mentally being confident is so important. So if we start doing musical keepers, it could give us a little bit of instability right there. I say, you know, you give him one more chance, you let him know like, Hey, that wasn't good enough, but we believe in you. We think you are the guy. So if it were me, I would be therefore cementing the confidence that Turner knows he's the number one and I'd give him one more chance out there. Anything a little bit shaky, don't get me wrong, we come into the next window and in the next window, it's a clean slate. Nobody's above any, like no one's ranked higher. And then we go based out of that window in training, whoever plays best there gets the start. But one more time, I'm going to give Turner the the nod. I don't think there's a, Bad decision that you can go sure. with this. No, no. So center back pairing. What do you, what do you guys want to see? I know for I've already said I want Richards and Robinson. What about you guys? I want Richards and Robertson. What about you, Robinson? What about you, Jake? Yeah, I think I'd like to see Robinson as my number one. And as long as Richards gets time, whether that's a substitute appearance or he starts, I'm happy with that. But for me, Miles Robinson is just a bit more important. And I, I trust yeah. Chris Richards, but I want to see him actually provide that to all of the fans in a U.S. jersey. But yeah, like we talked about, he's not getting the opportunity because he's not on the field. So how, how, can, how are we supposed to see his quality if he's not able to play? So 
yeah, yeah I'm, it's, it's, I'm on board with you guys. It's like when you apply for a job and you're like, you know, you're trying to get a job, but they're like, oh, we can't hire you because you don't have any experience. <laughs> Somebody's got to eventually give you that experience. And, you know, eventually you got to do it. And I think Costa Rica against Costa Rica at home is the right time. Yeah. So top three. Then. Oh, full. Okay. Yeah. Fullbacks. <laughs> I think there's no question that we go Destin Robinson. Yeah. Like from what I've seen, Dest is healthy. He traveled with the team. So even if we can get 65, 70 minutes out of Dest, we, we get that for sure. Does Greg then, do that? Yes. I think he does. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I don't think that Je- Greg has any problem with that center back pair with that outside back pairing, especially with miles Robinson and Tyler Adams in the game. Yep. Very true. Sorry, Ryan, we, were you going to the midfield? No, no. I actually want to talk about the, the forwards. I want to Go talk about <laughs> who, well, I was actually going to just pose the questions back to you guys. I think we all agree that it's Pepe at the nine. Aronson's been our most impactful player throughout qualifying. So Wea played really well coming off the bench. So do we want to leave him kind of in that super sub role? Cause he's incredibly impactful with his pace, his dribbling ability and his technical skill. When that team's a little bit tired and you have a fresh Timo coming off the bench, man, it's scary. So would you guys be giving Timo the start to see what he can do at 90? Or do you want to bring in Hoppy and then let Timo, Timo be that super sub still? I don't know. I, I, I could see I'm happy with either, honestly. I, I think Hoppy's a good super sub. I think Way is a great super sub. Aronson's provided bench. I could see any combination of those, of those three being a great combination to put out there. I do want to see Ariola in role two because in the gold cup, when we put in guys like Ariola, Roldan, Zardes in the 75th minute, they changed the game. They sparked a comeback. They sparked an offensive flip instantly. And so saving those veteran guys for the bench is uh, sort of what I want to see and give the young guys the start. I don't know if Greg will do that in a World Cup qualifying match. That's sort of a must win to save his job, though. If I see Ariola on the field before the 80th minute, I'm <laughs> turning off the stream and going to bed. <laughs> if, yeah, like I think Ariola's gotten enough minutes this window. Uh, he's he's shown what he can do. He's good. He's good. He he's got his yeah. full. <laughs> right. yeah, he doesn't yeah. need to play again. <laughs> no. If we in fact DC, you guys more... need a player. <laughs> Call him back. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, for me, it's going to be Hoppy, uh, Aronson, and Pepe across the top. So, yeah, that gives uh, Turner at the back, Dest, Robinson, Robinson, Richardson across the back line, MMA in the midfield with Pepe, Aronson, and Hoppy as the front three. I think that's a team that goes out there and gets us three points in Columbus against Costa Rica. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Have you guys seen, I mean, have any of you guys seen or been to Columbus in their new stadium? No, not yet. I'm really interested to see, you know, Austin brought such an amazing environment. It'll be pretty cool to see how Columbus, which was typically, you know, the place where everybody had to go and we had all our doceros there. So hopefully they can get that tradition going again. I see Dempsey running around in the back. Yes. He's about to come in. <laughs> Wreck the shame. She she heard we needed reinforcements. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, if it's the new birth of a dos acero, 
I'll be maybe a little bit happier again. We'll see. I guess, all right, going into Wednesday, we've talked about the players. We've talked about what we think Greg will do. Let me hear your predictions, and then we'll sign off. Tom, you go. I, I've got an ugly 2-1 win. I, I just so, think we're too good to not win this game. The math dictates that we're going to win this game. I don't think it's good, but I think we get the job done. So even though we've been Debbie Downer for the last 52 minutes, we're going to end this on a high note. It's going to be kind of similar to the marching pace of the last window where we end on an extreme high, and it's going to be 3-0 U.S. over Costa Rica hopefully a dominating performance and Greg saves his job again, probably not because of his tactical decisions, but just if he just puts out the right players that that'll save it for him. And if we end up three, nothing, then I think we all walk out of this window still better that we didn't get seven, but always leaving getting three points will make you feel good going into the next window. And the next window is a pretty tough one. Yeah, I think we have our first game against Mexico in this next window. Is that right? Yeah, it's our next. It's yeah. our next match. Yeah. So if we go in, <laughs> but it's only two we'll... games in the next mm-hmm. window yeah. too. Yeah, and one of them is Jamaica. <laughs> we'll see what hey, type Canada of game tied. <laughs> yeah, but Canada tied to Jamaica away. So you know, some some teams have have struggled to go down there. I don't think that we should use the excuse of tough away environment, but you know, even Canada tripping up down there is the only reason that we're still in second place. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I, I do think as long as we get away with a win, whether it's an ugly two, one or a beautiful three, nothing, I will be okay. <laughs> I'll be okay for the next month until there's more games to worry about. So we're going to sign off here, but, uh, Ryan, let's start with you. What's what's the last word from you? So last, last words for me is the, I think we need to continue to put heat on the Federation. We need to still continue to expect more from Greg Berhalter. I want to see our reporters putting him, putting him on the hot seat. I know the Federation won't do it, so we have to be the people that will. Uh, I think as long as we continue to be a force that puts pressure on the Federation, Eventually, they are. They've already said that they're getting away from some, so that's you know something to be excited about. Then we can stop with all this quota garbage. I know people say it is or is not a thing, but I I personally do believe that there is something to it. Jurgen's talked about it too in the past. So going forward, let's get three points. Let's have something to be excited about, Uh, and then hopefully I'll get a chance to get downstairs. I know Germany's playing right now, so get to go watch. uh, my host country play. Awesome. Tom, how about you? I'm going to take this last word to reiterate that the sky is not falling. We had a bad result against Panama, but that's all it was. It was a bad result against Panama. Looking at the math, looking at some of the models done by better mathematicians on Reddit than me gives us an 88% chance to qualify still, even with the loss against Panama. If we beat Costa Rica, we're back up into the 90 percentile. Even if we lose to Costa Rica, we still have greater than a 70% chance to qualify. If our goal is to qualify for the World Cup, the sky is not falling yet. We can survive a result like that. We just can't survive a lot of results like that. So, you know, I'm looking towards Costa Rica, trying to sort of keep optimistic that, you know, 
We're not going to win every game. We're going to look poor sometimes. We need to look better, but we're still in good shape when it comes to qualification, despite what happened last night in Panama City. Perfect. We'll end on that that the mathematicians over at Reddit have told us that we're qualifying for the World Cup. <laughs> but I will say, hey, when we went yeah. down to Trinidad, we had a 98% chance too. So just saying. Come on, I thought we were ending this on a high. You just had to come sorry, back. Around. I'm so sorry. <laughs> In math, the I German trust. culture has rubbed off on me. You're, we are forgiven. Serious all the Too time. direct. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for listening and watching all over the place. Again, leave a like or leave a positive review as it helps more people find us. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Hey guys. 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 Yes. 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 This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.